Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. I am super grateful for you to be here. This week's episode is very special. We dive into a very interesting topic, something I think you will take great appreciation and learn a lot from. So without further ado, enjoy. Hello, and thank you for joining me on the trail to Summit the Soul Mountain, a journey up the mountain of life and into the potential of soul. My name is Ryan Witherspoon, your host. Today, I am stoked to have a very special guest on the podcast, a real, authentic, and powerful human. I'm joined with Taylor Johnson, a true orgasmic master and sexual educator. Taylor has traveled the world and conquered his sexuality in more ways than one and lives to tell the story. Taylor teaches the practices he has learned along the way for men to understand, build and harness their sexual energy, and to create the lives they desire. Let's face it, sex is always at the forefront of the mind. It's a part of who we are and essentially the basis of why we do anything to a certain extent. We want to get laid. We want to have the orgasms that connect us to the divinity that is our soul. We want to tap into the energy and attract the partner that we desire and deserve to connect in deeply intimate ways. I'm super excited to chat with Taylor about all things sex, figure out how to master sexuality, and in turn, master the abundance that follows. I welcome the gangster lover, Taylor Johnson. What's up, brother? <laughs> what an intro. All right. Hello, man. Good to be here. Thank you for that. And hello to everybody listening right now. And the, yeah, the first thing that jumps out at me is how many times you used the word master. And yeah. I, uh, we can go into the term mastery, but I want to be very clear that I don't consider myself at the point where I have nothing else to learn. I'm still very much on a learning journey. And um, yeah, I feel that feels important to say upfront. I'm still discovering things and I still have my own shadows and challenges that I'm working on too. Absolutely. And I think one of the things about being a master is, is that, is recognizing that there's always something more to learn, you know, teaching and, uh, yeah, recognizing you're always a always a student in life. So yeah, absolutely. I like to make the analogy for guys in my courses. If you think of a professional basketball player or a professional musician, it's not like they reached a level of ex excellence and then stopped practicing. And it's not like they never mess up either. They still mess up, they still need to practice, they just have reached a certain level of excellence that's higher than most people and higher than where they were before because of all the practice and effort they put in mm -hmm. that, that kind of makes it a little more down to earth mm -hmm. yeah, for, I do me. That. for sure. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you about was to kind of jump back to the beginning of your story. And um, I think sexual education as a young kid and growing up in America is very awkward. It's very minimal. We start out in school with like the puberty talk and women and men or boys and girls are separated and they each go through their own classes and uh it's very awkward we learn that danger like sex is dangerous in most ways it's not really you know something to explore and know that there's not a right and wrong and there's just a lot of you know dangerous possibilities yeah stds pregnancies you know commitment that we're not ready for as young adults and stuff um, so I'm curious what your first experience and interaction was with sex, how old you were and, uh, how that experience impacted your life. So we're talking about with sex or sex education or both, <laughs> I guess, I guess both, but, uh, yeah, my first memory of, of, I guess both, it wasn't me actually having sex, but it was sitting in a sex education classroom in my high school. I was probably maybe somewhere around 15 and remember something to the effect of them saying, basically don't have sex, otherwise you'll get AIDS or you'll get pregnant or you'll die. Something that extreme. And I, was, I went to a public school in rural North Carolina, so that might have had something to do with it, but that was very much the extent of the education I got, which was a bummer and it was not helpful at all. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think like, wow, what would life have been like all these years if I had actually gotten a great sex education um, because that was what we all had and I didn't have any good family members or role models to teach me about sex either my main source of that was porn magazines 
the internet videos, all that stuff, which is a horrible place to learn about sex from because they're all actors and actresses acting like they're enjoying the things they're doing, even if they don't enjoy the things they're doing. So yeah, I'm kind of tangenting on your question, but that was my first experience with sex education. And then with sex, ah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> what, do, what do you consider sex? Touching of genitals, making out, like penetrative sex? What do you, what yeah, are you let's go into, into penetrative sex. First um, experience of penetrative sex. All right. So I was a, in many ways, what you would call, what many people would call a late bloomer, which is all relative. Some people don't have sex until they're 30, but I didn't have sex until I was 19. After high school, I was living in Orlando, working for Disney World of all places. They had this program called the college program, where if you had completed a semester of college and you hadn't failed out, you could go live with three or 4,000 other college kids from around the world in Disney sponsored housing and work for Disney World for next to minimum wage. But it was a blast <laughs> and it was a ton of fun. And at that point in my life, I had reached a certain point of frustration, I guess you could say, like, oh, I, I want to have sex. I've been fantasizing about women my whole life. I haven't had sex yet. I've had a couple sexual experiences, but haven't actually had penetrative sex. I'm ready for that. And there was no romance or or sweetness or love involved at all. The first time I had sex was almost purely utilitarian with somebody who was just like, yeah, I'm down to fuck. And, and I did, I just had sex that was very uh, anticlimactic in the sense that it wasn't a very meaningful experience for me at all. I think I had a ejaculatory orgasm in five seconds after penetration began and the, the upside for me was then I was able to check it off the list and that pressure was gone. Like, cool, I had sex. All right. Now what's next? Interesting. Was it yeah. the, the same experience for the person you were with? It was just like they were just there to, to do it with you or were they did they have any sort of connection with you? You know, that was well before the time of my life where I did a lot of intentional communication about sex up front. So I'm not fully sure. I mean, they seemed like they were into having sex without much conversation at all. So, you know, I can't really say. I can't really say. They didn't try to have a relationship with me afterwards. Gotcha. So what did, where did that, was that something that stuck with you? Like having a quick ejaculatory orgasm and then um how did that lead you into you know kind of going down the path of what took you to where you're at today yeah well that's an interesting good question and story and i'd say that yeah i mean at that point in my life i didn't care like i had had sex i checked it off the list and i continued to have a bunch of just wild experiences while I worked at Disney World. I mean, it was a party place. It was like parties all the time, mindless sexual experiences. I ended up leaving that place because I felt like my brain was deteriorating and I felt like my spirit and my everything was just like going to shit, which I think it would have if I had stayed there. Uh, but but that was that was my introduction to it. It was pretty mindless. And like, it didn't even matter that I was ejaculating quickly because I was actually having mm-hmm. sex, you know? So fast forward a few years, and then I was finally in a meaningful relationship with a woman and was really into them. And then I did have the experience, multiple experiences over and over again of ejaculating quickly with them. And one time in particular, she got angry with me. It was maybe about 45 seconds after we started having sex and she was on top of me and I just came and she got angry and she looked at me with anger and frustration in her eyes and said like, that's it. Ah. I made a noise Mm. like that and it struck me actually deeply and it was the first time i had felt uh real shame around that real shame around that and it yeah it was a pain point for a while and that was i would say like the first kernel of something that started me on this journey i was still in my very early 20s so it didn't really it wasn't the blast off point for this journey, but that was like one of the first pain points where I was, I remember thinking like, Oh, something's wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And from there it was a, it was a, a journey of 
experiencing that many more times <laughs> with many more, you know, uh, sexual experiences and frustrations. And then like to tie in the, how it really happened for me piece, the, the journey to get where I am. I've always been really interested in spirituality and energy and consciousness and that sort of a thing. And I've also always been really interested in sex. And up until about my mid twenties, there had always been a split there a complete split, a complete separation, any meditation workshop that I did, the yoga teacher training that I did, all the workshops that I did around consciousness or spirituality, none of them talked about sex. And in fact, it was like not okay to talk about sex in those spaces. Meanwhile, all of us in those spaces were sexual beings and I was exploring sex and not having great experiences and felt like there was something, like there was some void in my life, I guess you could say. So I remember the moment at which that started to shift for me, I was at a retreat center in Hawaii working in their kitchen and somebody just gave me a book called Sexual Energy Ecstasy. And it started with this 40 some page poem about sex and the beauty of sex and how sex mm -hmm. could possibly weave with spirit and consciousness if you should choose to do it that way. And it was this huge light bulb moment for me of realizing, wow, maybe there's so much more possible than I had ever imagined, you know? And this, like, it was as if the wall between sex and spirit, there was a hole punched in it. And I was able to see through to the other side from both sides with some hope and realization. Wow, the something here is possible. I don't know what it is exactly, but there's something here and I want it and I'm going to figure it out. Hmm. Interesting. And then, so that was what kind of like spirituality, what, what practice or, you know, what, what was that, that you kind of discovered where it was, you know, intertwined in sex and, and spirituality? Yeah. Well, I would say that that, that in itself was not the discovery moment. That was like the, uh, oh, something's possible moment, you know, and it catalyzed a journey for me. And well, up until that point, spirituality for me really revolved around i didn't have language for it yet at the time but it really revolved around being present in the moment i guess if you were going to put some sort of label on it well i'll just say mindfulness mindfulness and awareness of energies and whatever else whatever other labels you want to put on top of it you know and i was not within any particular kind of organized religion or anything like that and I'd had what I would call spiritual experiences in meditation mm -hmm. and yoga classes and mushrooms, those sorts of things. But I wasn't really clear on what it all meant to me. And I would say the book Sexual Energy Ecstasy is derived from uh, more modern day approaches to Tantra, where you're basically combining mindfulness and presence with sexual pleasure and awareness of something that's greater than yourself. And to me, that's I would say that's currently my spiritual practice is to be aware of and intentionally connected to something that's greater than just myself on a regular basis without having to label it anything and without having to attach story to anything mm -hmm. and letting that permeate all the actions that I take in the world, whether that's with sex or my work or just being in the grocery store. Mm. Yeah. Does that make um, sense? Kind yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a short and quick version of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so with, with all of that coming to, you know, your awareness, finding that presence through, through sexual experiences and stuff, um, how did that kind of transform your life and, and, you know, move you forward in your spiritual understanding? and you know connect deeper with yourself how did the um is the question basically how did my exploration of that bring me deeper into my deeper into myself deeper into my spiritual y life? yeah how how did that connect you more with your your understanding of who you are and then how did that propel you and show up in your life from those experiences. Yeah. Hmm. A story is coming to mind. I remember being in my later twenties, 
and being in relationship with a woman where we lived together. And this is at a point where I still had a lot to figure out, <laughs> like massive amounts. I was addicted to porn at the time. I was masturbating to pornography regularly, and I was in relationship with this person. And at the same time, I was starting to read books about Taoist sexuality, about tantric sexuality, about yogic sexuality, and just sex in general. And I remember that was around the time I was reading Montauk Chia's book, The Multi-Orgasmic Man, for the first time. And it's when I first started to look at the relationship between my porn habit or my porn addiction and then the quality of relationship that I was having mm. with my partner. And I started to do some experiments and I started to recognize that if I took a break from watching porn, then my relationship with my partner dramatically improved and our connection improved and our depth improved. And not only that, but my connection with life improved and my depth of being in general improved. And then if I went back to watching porn, we would be much more likely to get into arguments. I would look at people in public more as sex objects and it, it changed my whole consciousness and state of mind. Mm. And I didn't fix it or figure it all out then, but I did a lot of experimenting and went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then started to recognize also that the frequency at which I ejaculated had an impact on my relationship as well and had an impact on my ability to, uh, to show up in work and whatever other areas of life were important to me. And the more often I ejaculated, if it was multiple times a week, the less able I was to be on point and on fire and clear in my work meetings or in, in anything. And at that point in my life, I was part of a kirtan band and we were playing and leading group kirtans, which if you're listening, you don't know what that is. It's a, you basically get together with a group of people and sing mantra with devotion to spirit. It's a branch of yoga called bhakti yoga. And it's the practice of, of just devotion. And our vehicle for devotion was singing. And so we did that every week and we led that in the Asheville community for like seven or eight years. And so I noticed that my ability to show up with depth there in that context too, was really impacted by my porn use and my ejaculation frequency as well. And these things all just started to click and paint a larger picture in my brain around just how impactful my sexual choices are and were on my entire life, including my spiritual life, you know, which to me is not separate from my actions that I take in this like physical incarnate world. Hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting to, and I can relate to having, um, you know, the more porn I watch or would watch and then have, you know, these ejaculatory orgasms and stuff, just feeling super depleted mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of just thinking about that next instant gratification of going to, you know, when that, when that moment was going to be and, and taking me out of the present and stuff. I'm yeah. curious what you, what your thoughts are about. Well, first, like what, what is kind of sexual energy and how does, how does semen and, and ejaculatory orgasms kind of tie it together and, and getting rid of that, you know, what that is. <sighs> yeah, let's see. What is sexual energy? How do ejaculatory orgasms and semen relate to that? Man, so many different directions we could go there. Um, I, I guess since because we're coming from the point in the conversation where we were talking about the depletion aspect of things, we could start with that route and tie it into there and say sexual energy is... Okay, so in some traditions, energy is everything, right? Even in the modern Western world, there's theories of string theory, which state that at the core of all things are little strands of energy that are all relating with each other constantly and everything is connected, et cetera, et cetera, right? Great. So with consciousness, we can affect change in the world, whether that's us closing a door or us internally mm -hmm. changing our body temperature 
or even coming into resonance with somebody else without touching them through our heartbeat or our attention or something like that. Like we can mm -hmm. affect change in the world. So that's affecting energy on some level. Sexual energy is that energy, yes. And in some other traditions, sexual energy is seen as a sort of unique kind of special uh, force that is an additional flavor of the substrate of energy that is everything, you could say. And so there's extra density to it, or there's extra potential to it, or there's extra stickiness to it. And it's important to do something intentional with it. Say, for example, you get aroused. If you mm -hmm. get aroused, if I get aroused, if somebody gets aroused, there's all the biological aspects of it. Yes, more blood flow to the genitals, th different things happening in the brain. Def usually our breathing will switch a little bit. And there's also this internal subjective feeling and a state change in our consciousness where we're more, um, the potential for us to be impacted by sexual stimuli goes up and we're in a more reactive mode to getting turned on and to experiencing sexual pleasure. And so there's a different consciousness or a different mm -hmm. state associated with that, that a lot of times guys will just see or feel that they need to go towards ejaculation. And, oh, arousal, attractive person, I got to ejaculate. Like that's mm -hmm. the directive, that's the goal, that's, that's that sort of thing. And generally speaking, I think that habitual ejaculations release that charge. It releases that charge. And for clarity, I'm pro-ejaculatory orgasm. I love having ejaculatory orgasms with intention, but the difference is doing it with intention versus mindlessly. Mm -hmm. And so if we're thinking about it, if anybody listening to this has a penis and you've ejaculated before, you know what happens after you have an ejaculatory orgasm almost always your erection fades, almost always you're more tired, you're less interested in continuing to have sex, you're more interested in eating some food, doing something different other than sex. So you could call that a shift in energy, mm -hmm. or some people call it a loss of energy. And a loss mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean bad. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It's just like, oh, you let some of that go. Cool. Now what? The problem for me comes in when you when you and when I in the past regularly let that energy go over and over and over and never allowed that to build up in my system again. And for me, that did leave me in a state of feeling depleted, kind of like you were talking about. And from that place of depletion, it's very hard to feel connected to much. It's very hard mm -hmm. to feel like I'm living my purpose or I'm connected to life or I'm connected to spirit or I'm even connected to my partner or even I'm having like a good day and I know what to do with my time. It's much more easy to get caught up in the push and pull of society and life outside of ourselves and be not as connected to what we want to create, if you mm -hmm. will. And so for me, that is a long-winded way of saying that sexual energy is the same thing that is energy. And it's also important to be aware of what we do with it because it's also a special kind of the energy that is everything that has a bigger impact than just, you know, how much, I don't know, reading a book did you do or something like that? Mm -hmm. Does that kind of answer the direction you were wanting to go? Yeah, no, definitely. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm hearing that. Yeah. With, with that energy buildup and that charge and stuff coming into arousals and using it, and then just mindlessly, you know, getting rid of it, you're not intentionally going anywhere with it. And, and then your body is just really just wants to keep giving that energy without using it intentionally. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And if there's anyone listening to this, like, oh, that that's skeptical, think about it from an evolutionary perspective. As biological creatures, it's our duty. We're created, you could say, to procreate. It's our duty to perpetuate the species. And if we have an ejaculatory orgasm, we're telling our body that we've completed the mission. And we're telling our brain mm -hmm. that we've completed the mission. So your brain and your body can rest. And you can go into a state of recharge. And you can go into a state of lethargy for the sake of self-congratulations. Like, yeah, you did the thing. You don't have to go push to do the thing. But if 
you're constantly living in a state of, oh, you don't have to go push to do the thing. You might not ever push to do other things mm-hmm. in your life that you really want to do, you know? And that's huge. Like, that's a huge part of it. it they say that the physiological, at least the measurable things that people have been able to, let's say, how would I say this? Western science has determined <laughs> that if you have an ejaculatory orgasm, there are measurable changes in your physiology, hormones, et cetera, for at least up to seven days, possibly longer, possibly up to weeks. And if that's true, we'll just take the seven day metric as the experiment for this conversation. If it's seven days to get back to baseline, that means if you're ejaculating twice a week, you are never getting back up mm-hmm. to your full potential of baseline as a human. Mm-hmm. You're just constantly staying in the state of, um, yeah, less than your potential, you could mm-hmm. say. And so then the question becomes, oh, well, how do I go multiple days without ejaculating? That's really hard. Like most guys are doing this three times a week or more. And the answer to that is another really important part of the equation, and it's called transmutation like sexual energy transmutation. And if you've ever read the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, this is a guy who went and interviewed some of the most successful people of all time. He included an entire chapter in this book about the mystery of sex transmutation, saying that this is one of the key pieces to living the most successful life you could possibly live, is figuring out how to intentionally use and work with this buildup of sexual charge and not just mindlessly let it go through the pursuit Mm -hmm. of of sex, you know? So the idea of transmutation is say you or I, or you the person listening, say you get on a desire to open up your computer and look at porn. This is something that most people can relate to. You get that desire, that impulse. It's almost like you're getting hooked. And if you pay really close attention to what's happening there, there's a shift going on in your physiology, in your body that you can actually feel. Pause and just feel for a moment if that happens to you. That's an energetic change. That's a state change. There's some sexual energy happening. There's some arousal and buildup that's already happening. And the sexual energy and or energy in your system is growing. So you could, there's a couple of different pathways you could take here. You could go to the laptop and open it up and type in the porn site and start watching porn and get off. And that would be a way that you could go through that cycle and discharge that energy or that buildup, if you will, through an ejaculatory orgasm. Or you could just not do anything. Don't open your laptop and go about your day. What happens if some guys do this is that they feel sexually frustrated. Some guys might even get blue balls from that. It's kind of extreme in that particular case without sexual stimulation, but some people it could happen for. So there's two options. The third option, the option that I do as part of my regular practice if i get a sexual desire to do something that i don't want to do is that i'll notice that physiological change in my body and then i will intentionally do some form of a practice an embodied practice to integrate that charge to integrate that desire into my system so i can then use it as fuel to go out and do whatever i want and for me these practices are almost always physically based in combination with deeper somatic awareness. So Qigong or yoga, or maybe even physical exercise with the mindset that I usually carry during Qigong or yoga or -hmm. some sort of martial type practice like that. And that does a lot to anchor that buildup in the body and it changes it. It changes it into fuel that you'll actually feel that can charge you up to go do other things. Mm -hmm. I just said a lot, so I'll pause there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I was gonna, you kind of started to go down there. I was gonna ask, um, like how, how to transmute that and how to take that energy, um, and that, you know, desire to go and get the quick gratification or go and kind of get rid of this energy that you're feeling and, um, and how to harness that and use it for the potential. Um, so you started to go down there. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just very interesting how to transmute your energy. I mean, there's so many ways to do this and, and most people have done this without even knowing it. So an example I like to give is think about a time when 
there was somebody that you saw in your life that you found really attractive or maybe there was a job opportunity. Well, let's, let's keep it in the sexual realms. Like there's something, somebody you saw that you thought was really attractive and you're interested in them. And because of that, you change something about yourself to become more interesting or you do something to live, like to be a better version of yourself. Maybe you work out before you know you're going to see them again, or maybe you put on different clothes or maybe you, I don't know what, you know, like you could, any number of things could fit into that category so mm -hmm. that you could be more noticeable to them or impress them or feel like you have a better shot of them being interested in you if you approach them. That in its base form is some form of sexual energy transmutation because A, you're noticing a desire in your system for somebody and B, instead of just releasing that desire through an ejaculatory orgasm or mindlessly going and pursuing them, you're choosing to do something else with that desire to build yourself up to therefore have a higher probability of a better outcome. Possibly. Some people get way into their heads with this kind of stuff and, and try to do way too much and it actually ruins the effort. But that, <laughs> that on a base level is something that most people can relate to. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense on some sort of thought experiment level? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I'm thinking about just today, like one thing I wanted to do before jumping on this podcast was to kind of go out and, and work out and, and just, you know, get that energy flowing in my body and, yeah. um, and feel that. And, and now I'm kind of, I'm relating that back to, um, you know, it's not a, a sexual desire, but that sexual energy in that way of the force of, of creation, really that, you know, I wanted to create something with you here and have a conversation of depth and meaning and to feel the, the desire to go out in, in my gym and work out and move the energy through me. Um, that's kind of where that's where I'm relating it to right now and recognizing yeah. that that was a, you know, a potential of transmuting sexual energy. Yeah. Transmuting sexual energy and just being intentional with life energy in general. Like mm -hmm. You could have just sat at your computer and watched porn for the last two hours, but some part of you knows that there was a better option. <laughs> you chose the better option so we could have a better conversation for everybody mm -hmm. who's listening right now. And so we could just learn from each other too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, yeah, that's just like deep energetic awareness and practice to me, spiritual practice of being alive and being aware that our choices have a bigger impact than we might have previously thought earlier mm -hmm. in our lives. At least I know that that's true for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I might have earlier in my life mindlessly like eaten a bunch of cookies, you know, or ate, ate something that really would have made my stomach upset or any number of things that would not have put me in an optimal state to have a conversation or something like that. And now I don't do that anymore because I'm, I'm choosing to transmute and be intentional with what I build mm -hmm. up in my system so that I can create more meaningful stuff in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So thanks for doing that. Thanks for not watching porn for the past two hours. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You mentioned, so uh, go for sorry. it. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, you mentioned earlier, how does this relate to semen and mm -hmm. semen retention is something that I teach about and it's, yeah. So, um, let's see how to say this simply. The best example to give is think about a man who has a vasectomy. He basically just has the tube from his testicles cut to the rest of his genitals, to the rest of his reproductive system. And so when he has an ejaculatory orgasm, still it feels to him and it would appear to anybody else, any of his lovers, that the exact same thing is happening. They wouldn't know that he had a vasectomy. It's almost the identical volume of semen that comes out. The only difference is sperm is not part of the semen. Hmm. And so these guys, they still go through the same refractory period as people who don't have a vasectomy. Their brains still go through the same neurological process of ejaculatory hmm. orgasm as guys without vasectomies. So therefore, a simple thought experiment, we can see that it's not just the retaining of sperm 
that gives the extra boost of energy, right? Their neurological processes, their hormonal processes happening, all of these things are more important, arguably, than just whether or not sperm leaves the body through an ejaculatory orgasm. Because that sperm will be reabsorbed into the body regularly. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways, the more I the more I look into this it seems like that's really the de- determining factor is like, do, does your body and brain go through the process of ejaculatory orgasm or not? And it just so happens that semen being ejaculated through the body is synonymous with the typical experience of ejaculatory orgasm. And therefore, there you go. <laughs> and so then the question becomes, oh, well, what about everybody who says the thing about you can separate orgasm from ejaculation. Yes. And you're not going to have the same identical ejaculatory orgasm experience without ejaculation. It's just Mm -hmm. not possible because part of the experience of ejaculatory orgasm is going through the neurological release of, of chemicals and hormones that signify to your body that you've completed your mission. And so you get this release afterwards. That doesn't happen in the same way with a non-ejaculatory orgasm. A non-ejaculatory orgasm can be a buildup and like an ocean wave of pleasure crashing over and over and over again, but you're not going to feel a depletion afterwards. You're not going to feel a loss. You're not going to feel this release. And a lot of guys go into sex specifically to get that release. And Mm -hmm. so this is why a lot of guys have a lot of trouble getting to these states, these other kinds of sexual experiences that are not released focused, that are not ejaculatory orgasm focused because sex has become the main strategy for most guys. And there's no shame in that. That was my reality for many, many years too. I got pent up, have sex. If I got mm-hmm. horny, have sex, you know, it's just boom, easy release. But what that does is it habituates a cycle in the brain and physiology where that, that becomes your reality. And it's very hard Mm. to break out of that. It takes some serious practice and time and it's possible and it's worth it, but it's not, it's not easy. You can't just get it in a couple of weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we practice semen retention practice, um, intentionally using that energy and then knowing when to, you know, when it's right for us to have those ejaculatory orgasms. Yeah. Experimentation, really. I mean, it comes down to experimentation and there's a lot of variables. How old are you? What is your lifestyle? What do you do for work, et cetera? Um, there's in the Mont- in the Taoist sexuality tradition that I've studied in, they have a breakdown by age of how often you should ejaculate. And mm. I don't remember offhand, but I'll just share my personal preference. I personally like to ejaculate once every 10 to 12 to 14 days, something like that. And I like to have as much sex as I want or don't during that time. Mm -hmm. And for me, I find that that's my optimal, um, excuse me, that's my optimal level of ejaculation. And if I stay at that frequency my levels of mental clarity, my levels of uh, drive and passion and ability to have good communication and meaningful conversations with people and impact in the world, that stays high and that that sustains. Whereas if I start to have more ejaculations than that, mm-hmm. all those things start to slowly drop down a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm not as able to have that meaningful conversation or something like that. And so I'd say this is going to be for anyone listening, a personal journey of yours to figure this out. And I have mm-hmm. a free seven day guide on my website. You can yeah, you can get for free. That's kind of the introduction to all this stuff. But basically, the simple version is you can't just stop ejaculating and expect your everything to improve in life. Like if you're going to practice this, you're going to have to do practices to integrate the buildup that you're going to experience into your body so you can transmute it and use it as fuel. And that's where this practice really comes from is from older traditions that see that sexual energy is really powerful and that if you're going to harness it, you have to actually, like, it takes effort. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just put a cork in the bottle, so to speak. Like, you have to 
you have to do things like yoga and qigong and, and breath work and exercise to make sure that you're actually integrating this so it doesn't overtake your mind and so you don't become obsessed with sex and then forget about all the stuff you wanted to do anyway mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting about the um like the different age limits or you know ages that you know kind of you know have a a guide to um you know how much you should and you know kind of doing that because whenever i do try and practice semen retention if my body seems to like i'll i'll have i don't have wet dreams often very very little and far between but after you know a week or 10 days or so i'll have a wet dream and you know I'll, my body will kind of for, forcibly release it or you know it's very interesting that that happens i'm yeah. curious you know i'm always curious why that happens you know trying to be aware of the dreams that i'm having when it happens mm -hmm. um but it's just interesting that the body knows that it needs, needs to have a release of that you know and it especially it's not something that like i'm subconscious for i'm, I'm sleeping so my body is having to release energy somehow. It's forcing me to release that energy or to move it through my body. Yeah. And I would pose the argument or the question, do you think your body, do you think you actually had to release it? Mm. You know, or do you think that somehow because of all the programming we've gotten from society, from sex and advertising, sex and movies, like possibly we have more sexual thoughts running in our brain than our ancestors 2000 years ago mm -hmm. did. And therefore it's way more likely that some sexual thought, even subconscious could come in during sleep and cause us to go towards the strategy of ejaculation that we're used to. Mm. And I'm not saying it's always that, but I just want to like pose the, the possibility that our bodies can be confused too. Mm -hmm. Like for example, a few days ago, I was having sex with my girlfriend and I knew that I didn't want to ejaculate going into it uh, because I recently finished last weekend a 40 day cycle of semen retention. Actually, it was not intentional. It just happened. And I was listening to my body and it, it wanted me to do that. But so we had sex again a few days ago. And during that experience, there was a point at which my body was screaming, come, <laughs> you know, scream like ejaculate, ejaculate. And it's, yeah, that I was aware that that's a part of my programming as a biological creature. And I mm -hmm. could have done that and it would have felt great, but I chose not to. And I chose to take a pause, breathe, integrate, and then go back to the sexual experience um, and have other kinds of pleasure that were not ejaculatory orgasms. And then I was super happy with that decision after we stopped having sex because I didn't feel depleted afterwards. I felt built up. I felt like mm -hmm. it's kind of like you get the gold star in Super Mario Brothers or something like that. If you integrate it well and you do enough practices to not get blue balls or something like that, mm -hmm. you know. So that was kind of a tangent from the blue balls or sorry, the wet dreams question. But to circle it back around to the wet dreams thing, you can train yourself to stop having wet dreams if you want to. Mm. It just takes a little bit of time to and some intentionality around paying closer attention to your arousal response cycle and paying closer attention to your dreams regularly. And then what happens to me now is if I start, if I start to go towards the direction of a wet dream, my consciousness can pick it up. And I've practiced mm. so much at this point, sex without ejaculating that my body can sort of interrupt the process and without even me thinking about it, it's, it's like, Hey, remember, there's something else you're trying to go for here. This isn't the only option. Take a pause. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that, that didn't really happen for me until I really started to practice um, sex and self-pleasure without ejaculation as the goal. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something to be mindful of and to, to consider that, yeah, the subconscious you know, just has, has patterns and, you know, it's, it's not always going to be a, a, you know, a release or that it's just a pattern and, uh, yeah. And the subconscious is, it's just doing what it knows to do. 
Totally. And that happens in so many different areas of our life. That's where all the isms come from, like racism, sexism, like we're not conscious. Most people aren't consciously thinking, oh, that group of people is bad. It comes out in a response that's programmed into us by society and by all the things that we've learned from society and school systems, etc. It's just, it's in us. And then we can take a pause and recognize it. Uh, but yeah, it's, we are a product of many of the things that mm -hmm. surround us, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for better or worse. And we can change that with intentionality for sure. Mm -hmm. Also an interesting note about wet dreams. Um, if you have a wet dream, the, um, the volume of ejaculate that comes out is less than what you would have if you had a typical waking ejaculatory orgasm. Mm. And similarly with the neurology of what happens, the impact of that is less substantial on your physiology and neurochemistry than a typical ejaculatory orgasm if you were to have one while you were awake. So Interesting. it's from that perspective, if you're trying to go through a process of retention, it's not as big of a deal. And what's a bigger deal is the shame people give themselves for failing, mm, you know, mm -hmm. if they have an, if they have a wet dream, like shame is going to hurt you far more than whether or not you had an ejaculatory orgasm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Cause that's, yeah, that's what sticks with you. Totally. Yeah. I can Very downward spiral so fast. Like shame is a nasty, nasty little thing. Mm -hmm. Especially with the, the sensations that come with, you know, orgasms and stuff, you know, you get, yeah. you go downward on a spiral and then you have that gratification through an orgasm. And then you kind of get that high and you get all, you know, the neurological benefits from it. And then you're like, keep doing that. Shame now equals a good sensation. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a that's a head fuck of this journey uh, because in society, like, there's so much shame associated with sex already, and so there's been a big a big movement, at least in some circles, to liberate ourselves from sexual shame. Well, okay, so then if a man wants to learn how to have non ejaculatory orgasms and get the benefits of sexual energy transmutation, then in comes the potential for a whole new layer of shame, like you're talking about around sex like oh i had an orgasm i'm bad you know or i'm not good enough or something like that that's not where we want to be putting our attention and energy <laughs> on the shame thing the self-compassion the self-love piece is super super important there and the reminder of why like why are we doing this what's the bigger goal here and to understand that we're all human mm -hmm. you know on some level on <laughs> Mm -hmm. some level you know and that makes me kind of think about just especially with you know how available porn is and how easy it is to have you know these experiences through the internet and stuff and now I'm starting over the past year or two I've been starting to really intentionally step away from porn and mm. that and and going through this journey and then discovering the difference between masturbation and like a, an intentional self-pleasure practice yeah. and, you know, going through that stage of quick gratification, getting it done and then slowing down, having pleasure, not associating pleasure with the, the orgasm itself, but just connecting with my body. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's just been, you know, a level up in and, in and of itself from, from connecting with myself, giving myself compassion in times when, you know, I didn't want to maybe finish when I wanted to, because I was enjoying myself. And then, you know, that self-pleasure turns into self-love and it's yeah. just an interesting, interesting thing. It is interesting. And I think the benefits of it far outweigh the actual benefits of it far outweigh what most people think the benefits would be of doing something like that. That is to say it's the benefits of having a self-pleasure practice are massive and not just because it'll help improve your sexual abilities, but because mm -hmm. like you're saying, like it's, you, there's all this self-love and self-compassion there. And when you're prioritizing spending this time with yourself on a regular basis, that's just going to change how you view yourself. And that's going to change mm -hmm. how you experience being alive and there's going to be this new uh, 
just fundamental belief in and lived experience in your body of self-love and self-compassion and self-understanding and self-respect that's going to carry with you non-verbally into every situation that you go in, mm-hmm. you know? And so I would bet money that I don't even know how you could do this experiment, but <laughs> somebody who has a self-pleasure practice and does it regularly is going to show up totally differently in a room full of people as that same person who does not have a self-pleasure practice, you know, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Just, just in the way that they have respect for their self, you know, and then can just be present, you know, and, yeah. and understand what, what's, what's being experienced as, you know, an observation and, and, um, yeah, I totally think that that'd be a true. Yeah. And we haven't talked about orientation or anything, but I'll just speak about heterosexual men for a moment. Um, there are some new articles coming out recently talking about how, how there are a massive amount of single and lonely heterosexual men in the world. And that number is growing right now. And in part because the dating landscape is, is rough in many ways for heterosexual men in the sense that a lot of the dating landscape has turned to online dating. Mm-hmm. Well, great. All right. Almost 70% of online dating site users are men. And what does that mean? That means there are more than double the amount of, at least in the heterosexual realms, there are more than double the amount of men as there are women. So that means the women have a massive amount of choices <laughs> and it's like, it's hard for, it's hard. It's hard for men to stand out in that regard. And one of the things that helps men stand out is photos, of course. But one of the things that really helps your photos stand out is the kind of person that you are in your Mm -hmm. core and getting photos taken of you when you feel really good. And what's something that's going to help you feel really good? Well, a self-pleasure practice is going to help you feel really good. A meditation practice is a regular yoga practice, regular exercise or kickboxing or whatever it is that you do to regularly connect with yourself. That's Mm going to show up in your photos. And you didn't probably didn't know this, but I'm a ex-professional photographer. I did that for like eight years full time. And I can absolutely see it in people's photos. And I could notice it when I was in photo shoots with people. Like you can tell, you can see, you can see a lot more in people's photos than than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And so basically the the long short of it is that heterosexual men who are interested in finding new partners and who use online dating really need to step up their game in a big way and not game like pickup artistry, but they're like <laughs> their self-love self-belief, like who they are, like really be the best person they can be because it's, it's tricky and it's hard right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, confidence is something that is, is seen just in your, your persona and the way that you carry yourself and hundred percent. And that's not something, well, it, it, you know, like you're saying with, with photos and stuff, you can see that and you can see the genuinity of somebody carrying themselves from a place of confidence and not a place of I'm trying to be, you know, the best or better than that guy. Absolutely. And, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Trying to appear confident will never equate to actual confidence, even in a photo. There's just you can't act that. Yeah. It's like those, you know, when somebody asks to take a candid photo of you, you know, and you're, you're posing for it. it's like, you're, you're really taking yourself out of the moment and out of the presence to, to be there and do that. Yeah. So there's, there's one question or one topic that you brought up at the beginning that um, <clears throat> haven't touched on, but we just briefly kind of touched on it. And that's how to find a partner or how to find a good partner. And this is something that I've not actually focused a lot of my work around, but it's something that in my personal life, I did a lot of work around. And I think the biggest, the biggest determining factor for me to find somebody who I, I'm in a relationship right now with somebody who we both are feeling like we are each other's life partners. And that's really beautiful. 
It's really mm-hmm. beautiful to experience, but it didn't happen easily, <laughs> you know? And the thing that really allowed that to happen for me is taking some serious time to just be by myself and work on myself and figure out what it is that I actually want outside of any sort of romantic connection in general. What mm-hmm. do I want in the world? What do I want with life? You know, how do I want to live in a healthy way? What do I want my impact on the world to be? And then actually doing those things by myself for an extended period of time to create the life and the kind of person that I wanted to be. Because I remember before doing that, I would think, oh, I want to have a girlfriend who's this, 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 and this. And who's all these things, amazing communicator, sexy, likes to do this thing and that thing, deeply connected to spirit, et cetera, et cetera. And then somebody said to me, oh, cool, Taylor, that's great. Um, Are you all those things? And... It was this like a punch to the gut moment of realizing, oh no, no, I'm not. Shit. Nobody like that is gonna want to be in a relationship mm-hmm. with me if I'm not that way. Right. Who am I kidding? You know? So that from from doing all that work for an extended period of time, I finally was actually happy and confident in who I was at my core without mm. meeting anybody else. And that's when that kind of a relationship came into my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because that's that's kind of where I feel at my life, not at the point where I'm calling in my partner, but I went through my paradigm of relationship comes from my parents being together since they were 15 years old. Mm. They were high school sweethearts. They were always been together. They're still together. And they have this, you know, fairy tale kind of story where they met love at first sight and that's how it works so for a long time growing up every person I would come into contact with I was like and I had a sexual attraction to or attraction in another way I'd be like this is the one this is you know and I would kind Mm -hmm. of create who I was around what I thought that person would want from me and then yeah and then going through a really heavy breakup with the person who I thought was my, you know, life partner about a year ago. And now I've just been completely putting that romantic relationship desire aside and fully leaning into who I am and who I want to be as a person and, and just not really focusing on attracting a partner right now and just focusing on myself. And I've just been learning through other romantic or through other like platonic relationships and people coming in and interactions Mm -hmm. in my life as I'm more authentic me the more I'm attracting genuine and intimate relationships and and I just know that that's you know the more you surrender and become yourself the more you're allowing those relationships to come into play yeah 100% and you said something really really important that I want to just double up on you said that in the past you had basically changed yourself to fit what you thought the Mm -hmm. partner would want or the potential partner would want. I did a lot of that too. And that's like one of the the biggest red flags in dating and relationships. And if anyone listening is doing that, like, please take a pause (laughs) because you're only going to hurt yourself. You're not setting yourself Mm -hmm. up for success. You're setting both of you up for failure actually. And I did that year after year after year, even changing your, even as far as you see somebody attractive on Tinder or Hinge or something, and you swipe yes on them. And then you notice that in their profile, they said they like a specific thing. So then you go into your profile and update it to say, Oh, I Mm -hmm. like this thing. You know, like, don't, don't be doing that. (laughs) Don't do that. Just like stick to who you are and Mm -hmm. lead from that place. And if you're actually doing that with authenticity, people will find that attractive. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and you were talking about um, like physical sexual attraction and the difference between like energetic attraction. Yeah. And I just found that so interesting. Um, so maybe if you could talk a little bit about about the difference between those and and that topic. Yeah, I. Hmm. how to speak to that in this short amount of time. Basically, yeah, that was a super interesting experience that I had 
Uh, maybe I don't know if it's possible to link to that episode in the show notes. Or yeah, something. I will for Basically, sure. Basically, I shared the story of the first time I really felt the difference between sexual and energetic attraction, and I ended up having a what would appear to be an outwardly sexual experience with an elderly lady that that was based on a purely energetic attraction of based on purely energetic attraction, and it was beautiful and it was amazing, and the. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say this, like, if you've ever been out in public and you see somebody that you feel drawn to, it doesn't even have to be a potential romantic sexual partner. Like you just see somebody mm -hmm. that you feel drawn to for whatever reason, that's energetic attraction. That's energetic attraction. Maybe it's somebody who is meant to, or who has the potential to be a great business partner. Or maybe it's somebody who has the potential for you both to have a really meaningful conversation together that shifts the direction of your life in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I've found that almost always when there's some form of energetic attraction with somebody else, that means there's something to be learned from connection with them. And so much of our programming and our lack of sex education leads many of us to think that connection has to look like sex and so we we don't get those benefits or we see somebody who we feel energetically attracted to but we're not sexually attracted to them so we write it off mm -hmm. we don't listen we don't go just even have a simple conversation like having a conversation with a stranger seems like a thing of the past these days you know so that's yeah that's basically the difference for me it's like sexual attraction for me is like wow look at them i would I would have sex with them. Energetic mm -hmm. attraction is something in my body or soul feels a draw to connect with this person in some way. I don't know what it is, but I'm interested to figure it out and I will approach them and say, Hey, I, I would like to have a conversation with you. Are you open to that? Would you like to get tea or go have lunch or something? You know? Yeah, that's very interesting. And to, to the point of finding somebody attractive and thinking that that's what you want and you desire and stuff and then kind of getting to a point where there's going to be a sexual interaction and then realizing you know this is not anything that I'm attracted to at all you know or like I had a friend recently who kind of had this you know reaction um mm -hmm. and uh and he was with somebody who you know he thought that he had this energetic, or he had an energetic pull to them and stuff, and they started diving in, and then they got to, um, which he also found very attractive. But then when yeah. they got sexually intimate, you know, it was kind of like, you know, right downhill. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. to me that makes sense because, yeah, it just makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> that it that it can happen because so many of us think energetic attraction means we have sex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say the, the real magic of relationship happens when you have both a sexual attraction and an energetic attraction to somebody. Like if you're able to discern and notice that those both things are happening at the same time, like pursue that person mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure. You know, for sure. All right. Well, I got one last question for you. Great. Question I'd like to ask all my partner, all my um, podcast guests, um, which you've, kind of answered a lot throughout of it, but what does soul mean to you? Hmm. Yeah. That's it. All right. Soul. I don't believe I'll start off by saying what I don't believe. I don't believe that I, as individual ego, Taylor, has an individual soul named Taylor that's going to carry on out of my body past death and continue to experience reality from an individualistic point of view as soul Taylor without a body. What I do believe is that there is some form of consciousness residing within me that will continue and probably expand massively when I, as ego human, Taylor die and merge with something else that is larger than me that will not be named Taylor. <laughs> and so I, yeah, these days the word soul to me is, is synonymous with great spirit or the energy that runs through all things or consciousness or life itself. I don't have the word soul attached to my own personal identity. 
And yeah, that's, that's what it means to me right now. And that feels really good. I used to think that I was going to, I used to have this belief that I was going to like ascend or whatever as Taylor and achieve new spiritual heights as Taylor and then go out of this body as Taylor and continue on this individualistic journey as energy soul Taylor or whatever. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't personally believe that anymore. And I find liberation in believing this. And for me, it has made life more special because it's fleeting and -hmm. it's going to be over really quick. You know, so how can I enjoy this and give the most value that I can while I'm alive in this body? Because I'm not going to be me for Mm -hmm. much longer. That's beautiful. Well, you've definitely given me value in this conversation and, you know, opened up a lot of perspectives and shared a lot of, a lot of great wisdom. You're not a master, but you're a master in many ways. And uh, (laughs) so I appreciate you for coming on here and and sharing the space with me. Yeah, brother. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to have this conversation with you and a lot of really good nuggets in here. And thank you everybody Mm -hmm. listening too. thank you for considering this stuff and, and taking the time to listen to something like this and go deeper in life. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm honored to share the space with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I'll link, I'll link everything in the show notes, but if you could give a a quick um, place where to reach you, where to contact you, how to find you. Absolutely. If you just Google Taylor Johnson sex coach online, I'll be the first person to pop up, but also taylorjohnson.life or at Taylor Clark Johnson on Instagram. You'll find me. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm, Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of Summit to Soul Mountain. If you enjoyed the conversation with Taylor Johnson, please go ahead and leave a review, leave a comment, and share this with somebody who needs to hear it. This is a conversation that goes a long way with people. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much again. Much love, y'all.